Welcome to Understandable Solutions, the podcast where we discuss business and current events, those important issues that impact our world. Our goal is that you walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. Here's your host, Jeff Newkirk. Jeff Newkirk, Understandable Solutions podcast, and it is great to have a very special guest today, Dawn Candy. Now, on the Understandable Solutions podcast, we've kind of shifted away from some business topics and are turning towards more current events and things that are issues that are really uh, impacting us, and we're going to talk about one of those today, and it's a serious one. But let me introduce Dawn. I've known Dawn for a while, and, and she was on my last podcast, The Forensic Financialist. We had a great discussion and Don, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Jeff. And we're going to talk about a very serious topic today. But before I get into that, let me tell you a little bit about Dawn's background. She's an entrepreneur, owns a company called? I Promote You. I Promote You. And what is I Promote You? We are a strategic marketing firm here in the Woodlands area. And we provide... North of Houston. Yes, North yep. of Houston. We provide promotional products, corporate apparel, and trade show giveaways. Awesome. And you are a very well-recognized uh, leader in the business community. And just this year, I mean, you have lots of awards and, and you've been recognized a lot. But this year, you have three specific awards that you've been recognized with. The 2021 Women of Distinction Award. Now, tell us a little bit about that. So that is an award um on behalf of the WISE Conference and... And what's the WISE Conference? WISE Conference is a one-day business conference for women. It's an annual event, and I am the coordinator for that conference, and I have been for the past four years. Excellent. Uh, very well-deserved, no doubt. And also the 2021 Woman of the Year for the American Business Women's Association. Now tell us a little bit about that. Well, and that was for our local chapter here in Montgomery County called Innovative Women in Business. And it was actually a surprise to me, Jeff, to get the Woman of the Year. And I really was just doing what comes naturally to me is helping other members stay engaged. It was community outreach. And it was just being a part of our chapter. So that, that's what makes you so awesome because you're, you're just genuine. You know, you're a giving person. And you just want to get out there and help as many people as possible. I do. And that's that's awesome. Thank you. And then last, but certainly not least, the 2021 Athena International Award finalist. Correct. Now tell us about that. So that was exciting. Uh, that award, I was actually nominated by someone in the community. And the award stands for women who empower other women, who mentor, who give back to their community. And it was, it was amazing to be nominated. There were 20 nominees. There were five finalists. And my very dear friend, Carol Gooch, the founder of MCABW, uh, which is Montgomery County Association of Business Women, which I'm a part of, won the award. So there were four of the five finalists part of her organization. And that wow. speaks volumes to her. That's great. Yes. That's great. Like I said, very well recognized. You're definitely a mentor to, to people in this community and, and beyond. So I suspect that there's much more in your future, right? I hope so. There is. There is a lot more. And, and we've talked about um, some of the roles that you play now. So uh, not just your business, but politics. Yes. So tell us about that. 
So I don't like to be called a politician. I'll just say that. But I do serve on city council for the city of Oak Ridge North. And I am mayor pro tem, which means It's a cool term. Tell (laughs) us what that means. (laughs) It's a cool term and not a lot of people know what that means. But I'm, I'm second to the mayor. So should the mayor be unavailable to fulfill his duties for whatever reason, then I would step in and take care of things on his behalf. And how many times have you had to do that? Um, actually, early on, I did have to fill in for about two weeks. And so it was a couple of council meetings. It was some executive sessions and workshops and things. So I, I did get, um, I'll say baptism by fire. <laughs> <laughs> so, and how did you like it? I enjoyed it. It's a little bit nerve wracking, to be honest. I've run board meetings before, which is no problem. However, I've never had media sitting out and watching and listening to every word I say. Okay. So you are, are sort of now been introduced to that Correct. that role Correct. and in politics. And uh, do you think you have a future in politics, even though we're not going to call you a politician? Oh, gosh. I yeah, never yes, say never. Do. I never say yes, never. Yes, you do, Don. <laughs> Somebody I volunteered do. to be my campaign manager. I don't know. <laughs> You've done so much for this community, and you just you have such a giving spirit that I just, I just see that in your future. Oh, we you. need people like you. Thank you. So now let's let's talk about what is uh, what you're so passionate about now, and what is consuming your time. So and I'll let you introduce you. it. Yes. Um, so one of my recent roles that I have taken on is um, being on the board for Hands of Justice, which is a local nonprofit here in Montgomery County, um, but we serve all over, and it is an organization that empowers survivors and overcomers of human trafficking and specifically sex trafficking and we are run by a a survivor founder her name is Becca Carey and I met Becca oh probably a year ago now and was introduced to sex trafficking during last year's WISE conference actually we had a speaker who talked about her daughter being trafficked and At that time, I had a 17-year-old granddaughter, actually she was 16 at the time, who lived with me, who was was new to my household, and I was seeing some behaviors that made me uncomfortable. Um, I hadn't had a teenager in my home for a very long time, so Mm -hmm. I I was talking to friends who had teenagers at home and describing the behaviors, and many of them said, oh, she's just being a teenager. It'll be fine. She's fine. But after hearing speakers at the WISE conference. After hearing, I went to Town Green Park for a human trafficking event uh, that they did. And listening to those speakers and law enforcement agencies and talking to nonprofits in that park that day, I really felt like there's something wrong. So let me just stop you right right now, because I think it's important for us to make sure everybody understands what we're we're talking about. What is human trafficking? And what is sex trafficking? So, so let's define what those are. Right. So, I mean, sex trafficking is human trafficking. Right. And so right. the overall definition is the exploitation of people. And you are doing it for commercial sex or labor. Mostly. Against their will. Against course. their will. So it's, it's, you do it through force, fraud, or coercion. And force is physical, of course. And most people can relate to that. Um, fraud is false promises. And so if you start thinking about that, you can understand that a little bit more. And coercion is threats and intimidation. So do we see more fraud 
than the other than coercion no, or, or force? I, no, it is across the board. A lot of people think when you talk about trafficking, they think of third world third world countries where someone is kidnapped and put into traffic, sex trafficking, prostitution against their will. They think of those things. That's not how it happens uh, most of the time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, in today's age, it is happening in your home through social media, through your computer, your devices, your children's devices. They are stalking, grooming. They are getting control of your children just by befriending them on social media. The, the sex trafficker. Yes. Yep. Yes. The predators are out there through social media. And what they do is they watch. They watch what your child is posting, friends, pictures, all the information that we put online. You think about it. You know, you put a picture of yourself and your dog. And, okay, so now they know your dog's name. They know what school you go to because you've got school spirit and you're showing a, a T-shirt with your school name on it. Right. You know, right. things like that. So. They're taking note of everything that you are posting. And they're pretending to be somebody that they're not, obviously. They and are. And I understand that they have, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they have scouts in the school. They do have scouts. And it could be the head cheer- cheerleader. It could be just another child that is in your your child's classroom. That so, is so scary. It is. So it can happen right in, in school. It, it does happen right in, in school. Yes. By somebody who is getting paid by the trafficker to be a scout. And they could be right next to you, sitting next to you in class. That is correct. And and oftentimes, they're, those children that are doing the scouting, they also are being trafficked. Because even if they're if it's not sex, it's labor. That's labor trafficking. They're forcing them to recruit to get the other um, victims basically on board. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine that they would want to do this. That they're coerced to do it or forced. Correct. We're told you know, that they're going to get all kinds of special things if they do. Yes, it's not just that though. You know, with especially with the grooming process, what that trafficker does is they they create such a bond with their victim in the sense that they tell them that they care for them, that no one else can treat them like they do. They love them. They're going to buy gifts for them. They figure out what is your Achilles heel, and they will go after that. Whatever it is that you need, what you're missing in your life, where there's a void, they're going to fill that void for you. And and so they get into the person's life intimately. They build this relationship. They gain trust. Yes. And so the victim is is formed a relationship closer with the trafficker than anybody else in their life. Yes, because what they do is they also create a wedge between the family or friends. They isolate that person. They they just wedge themselves in to make that person feel that they are the only one that really cares about them in the world. So let's get a get an idea of of how pervasive this is in not just Houston. I mean, Houston is a pretty big area for sex trafficking, but in our country, what what are some of the? Do you have some data to? So because I, I, I think this is going to blow everybody away because yes. it's so prevalent. Yeah. So the the number that I have actually is is a global number um, as far as the dollar amount. This is a hundred and fifty 
billion dollar industry. A hundred and fifty billion dollar industry. Correct. Correct. Oh, man. And so you think about it. This is bigger than drugs because drugs, you know, you've got to resell the product. You've got to source the product. Right. You, as a trafficker, have one person under your control, and you are reselling that person over and over and over, so many different times a day, oh my and multiply that. That is why the number is so huge. Staggering. It is. And, and so, do you have an idea of how many thousands or, or millions? I hate to even use that term number but uh, no and and i'll tell you that the data unfortunately um is it's very um sparse as far as the data the number of victims that are out there and the reason mm -hmm. is no one's reporting it no one's talking about it um of course the person that is the victim doesn't report until they're out of it right oh my goodness very few families even are aware that this is happening and so they don't even know to report it this way so that's part of the skew of the numbers. Now, we do know in the state of Texas, I'll tell you in the state of Texas, there are 79,000 children being trafficked. 79,000 children, children currently being trafficked in Correct. the state of Texas. Yes. So that's under the age of 18. And if you can imagine, many of these children, I can't even understand how this happens, but many of these children are trafficked by family members or close friends. Oh, my gosh. 79,000. Mm -hmm. It's a, a city. Yeah, yeah. And that's just in Texas. Correct. So yeah. multiply that by, well, you know, 50 states, and certainly not all states are as big as Texas, but... That that's is just true. So, so scary. In any state that has a port, that's a, that's a high uh, concentration of Florida. trafficking victims. Yes. Just think about California. that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. So tell us now how this is, how you got involved in this. So um, as I was being educated last year in September and October and heard the stories of survivors and heard those stories from law enforcement, I recognized the signs that I had seen in my granddaughter. And as I mentioned, she was 16. She was being defiant. She was being difficult, things like that. And so... But there, there's additional signs other than being defiant, right? Correct. Yes. Um, so even just staying in your room, um, being on your phone and constantly needing to be on that device constantly um, having angst if you're not able to get on the phone at a certain time even. She changed the way she dressed. She wore more makeup. She started wearing false eyelashes. And I mean, just, and it was, oh, this is the way that the style is now. I know you haven't been in school in a very long time, Gammy, but this is what it is. Um, it was inappropriate. I felt like it was too provocative, even though you're 16, that kind of thing. And just, like I said, sneaking out, there was a lot of behavior that was starting to happen. And, and again, yes, it can sound very much like a typical teenager, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I had to listen to my gut after hearing a lot of this information that was given to me. And I told my husband on a Sunday afternoon, I said, I have just this horrible feeling. She had run away 
she decided to stay with some family friends, which we were fine with. We knew where she was and everything was fine. Somehow she got herself kicked out of that family friend's home, went to another friend, which we knew. And again, that was fine. It was, we understood she was struggling through something. We were trying to help her, but we knew where she was. We were still keeping tabs. And then all of a sudden, she's not there. No one knows where she is. She's not communicating. So she was texting you and, and keeping you up informed, phone calls. And so and... was the family friend letting us know, okay. hey, we're having trouble with her. Hey, you know, this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. Hey, she's left our house. You know, so we were able to keep tabs on her in that way. We knew she had a job at McDonald's, you know, and then all of a sudden there's nothing. We hear nothing. And that is when I told my husband, I said, something's wrong. I feel like we need to do something. And we ended up reaching out to the Montgomery County DA's office. Uh, one of the assistant DA's there is the head of the Montgomery County Coalition for Human Trafficking. I messaged her and said, I believe that my granddaughter is being trafficked. I believe that she has been lured away. So you went from, I mean, obviously very concerned uh, the whole time period that she's with you and then when she wasn't with you uh, but you really got to the point where you were so uh, afraid of her well-being that you thought that she was being trafficked correct and it was some of those signs that you you saw in her and yes. then you reached out yes. so so what did they say so within 15 minutes now understand this was on a Sunday afternoon so I'll tell you how serious Montgomery County takes this Sunday afternoon, within 15 minutes, she replied to me and she said, I'll have my investigator give you a call. I expected that call to be on Monday. It was 15 minutes later. So within 30 minutes of my initial email to them, I was on the phone with an investigator giving him all of the information about my granddaughter, the cell phone number that I had for her, her description. I texted him a picture of her, just everything that I could give him. And did you have any idea where she was located at that time? I had no idea at that point in time. And so they opened an investigation immediately. Okay. Yeah. And what did they find? Well, so what we found out was she was in Houston. And so he was going to have to coordinate with uh, Harris County with a task force there for trafficking. And they have known areas in the city of Houston that traffickers take their victims for prostitution. And I think it's important to note that every county is, even though same state, yes. every county treats this sex trafficking differently. Correct. Okay. And so if that's true in Texas, it's probably true in other states as well. Yeah. So that's the other interesting part is, um, it was very difficult for us, Jeff, to navigate this investigation because it went across county lines and trying to coordinate Montgomery County to Harris County. What ended up happening, um, I made a, a comment on the phone with one of the investigators and said, if it is this difficult to coordinate between counties, what would I do if they ever took her across state lines? I was so scared of that. And it happened. She it, left the state of Texas and he took her out of the state of Texas. He took her to Atlanta 
And the only way I knew was the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children called me to tell me she was in Atlanta. I said, how do you know that? And they said, we had a hit on an ad placed for her for sale. Oh, no. So there was an ad for prostitution somewhere in Atlanta, and she was there, I guess, a few days. The FBI was called in because of the National Center finding this, and apparently the trafficker got spooked because they left Atlanta. They must have known. They must have gotten some, a wind of it somehow. These guys are so smart. They're so smart, and they're, they know how to stay under the radar, and it's very difficult. Well, it's, to, it's big business. It is big business. You're right. You're right. Um, but it just really surprised me that they were on it so quickly, that they responded so quickly to get her out of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So... Now, there are going to be people out there that, that are going to say, well, you know, wh why doesn't the victim just leave? Yeah. You know, why, why doesn't the victim just go home? Well, I, don't, I don't understand why they stay. Yeah. And the reason they don't stay is that coercion, that intimidation, and that the threats. Threats were made against myself and my husband and um, my other two granddaughters who live with me. They're much younger. And the trafficker basically told my my oldest granddaughter, we will kill them. You leave. We know where they live. So now she's she's forced because of fear. She doesn't want anything to happen to her she's family. She's scared to death. Yeah, and she's trapped. Her little sisters are ages four and five, and she was scared to death that something was going to happen to them and it would be her fault. Oh, my goodness. And I would assume then this situation is is not unusual. It's, it's typical of the, of the victims. They experience the same same type of treatment. They do. Um, I, I understand because my granddaughter did stay in contact with my daughter. I understand that she's been beaten. She's been starved. She has been drugged. She was drugged early on. When she would text me pictures of herself, she did not look like herself. You could tell that she was completely out of it. So, you know, they give them drugs sometimes to keep control, mm -hmm. to be able to control them. Yeah, so they don't uh, decide one day to just run away. Right. So how long has this been going on now, Dawn? So we're in September, and um, she ran away from us at the end of August last year, and we realized that she was being trafficked in early October of last year, so almost a year. Almost a year. Mm -hmm. And what's the, what's the next step now? Well, unfortunately, she turned 18 in April. And I think this is important for everybody to know as well, because once the victim turns 18, things change. Things change. Resources change. The law changes because she is now what they call at the age of consent. So the only... Even though she's under somebody else's control. Correct. Even I, though that she, just seems crazy to me. I, I agree. And... and you know, one of the things that I'd like to find out, figure out, help change, is that if a family has filed this trafficking report for their child who is under the age of 18, even when they turn 18, where does that file go? Is it closed? Because now you're telling me she has to have an outcry. She has to be the one to say, this is happening to me. She has to be 
strong enough, brave enough to say, I'm going to stand up against this person who's threatened my family, who's threatened me. She's got to have that outcry to get out, to be rescued or recovered. So what happened to her file? I don't know the answer to that. I don't, we, we, don't, I, but we don't have any idea. Once the victim turns 18, the files disappear. Where is it? Where is it? And why is it that nobody is helping? Because since she turned 18, her trafficker took her to Las Vegas and she was arrested for prostitution. So now she's building a criminal, a criminal record. Mm-hmm. But she's still being coerced. Right. She's still under his control. And so for me... That's something that needs to be addressed. This, this, she should not have something on her record when she's under these kinds of. Oh, what do you? Uh, this control. Control. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's she's clearly not thinking. Um, she's not thinking clearly, right? Right. And she's lost, uh, you know, control over her well-being, over what she does every day. Right. She's she's totally under somebody else's control. But her trafficker convinced her that she has freedom with him, that he is the That's one the taking trick. care of her. That's yes. the trick, right? Yes. And that happens with most victims. True. And when they turn 18 and they decide not to leave, they can unfortunately stay for an indefinite period of time That's until correct. they finally decide, I've had enough. Yes. And, you know, the statistic for that, Jeff, I, I found this so interesting for a victim to leave their trafficker to finally get away is the same statistic that domestic violence has as far as someone who's being abused by their spouse or loved one seven times. It takes them seven times to leave before they finally leave for good. That's it. Oh, my gosh. So if you can just think about that for a minute, you know, and, and of course, there's exception to the rule, right? I, I mean, there are some people who's after of course, of one course. time will say, I'm done. I'm not doing this. But then on the flip side, there are some that have been abused many, many times. Correct. Far greater than years, seven. And they stay. Mm-hmm. You know? So on the domestic violence side, people stay for the kids because they say, well, you know, we, we don't want the kids to go through divorce and this and that. Mm-hmm. Your kids know what's going on. Your kids are very yeah. well aware right? So on the trafficking side of it, these victims don't feel like they have the resources. And many of them that do are fortunate enough to come out, Mm -hmm. they don't go through a structured program and they try to live life on their own. And that's one of the beautiful things about Hands Hands of Justice. justice. Yes. And we need more Hands of Justice out there. We do. So tell us a little bit about Hands of Justice. When When did this organization start? And how does one learn about Hands of Justice? So you can go to handsofjustice.org, and it started probably about, um, well, almost five years ago um, with Becca Carey, who, after being trafficked herself over 20 years ago, uh, she she did it on her own. She basically was struggling through life, um, and she will tell you her story of just trying to self-soothe Um, abusing alcohol and just having risky behavior after she exited, you know, and there are so many things because you're trying to feel better, you know, numb the pain that you're going through as, as a victim and as a survivor. And so she was in a psych class, I think she says, and she, she heard about trafficking. That was the first time she really heard what trafficking was. And in that class, 
she self-identified and realized she was a survivor of that, that she'd actually gone through that. She had never Mm -hmm. identified it that way before. And so when she left that class, again, she struggled for quite some time, but she realized she was very angry. She got to a point where she was very angry and she said, hold on, how can I be angry that no one is doing anything about this when I'm not doing anything about this? I need to, I need to stand up and step. And that was exactly my feeling going through this with my granddaughter. It was like, I don't want another family to experience this and feel the frustration and the helplessness and just the grief and the loss that we feel. So I'm very grateful that that we connected, Becca, Carrie, and I, and that I got involved with Hands of Justice because now what we're doing, my husband and I are filling a role with that organization to help families mm-hmm. because we can relate. We are walking the walk. And she She's a, an incredibly impressive person. Uh, I've had the privilege of hearing her speak. Yes. And she's extremely courageous. I mean, think about the courage that it took to do, you know, to start Hands of Justice. Yes. And, and to finally say, okay, it's time to do something and I'm going to do it. Right. And you have to tell your story and you've got to share with people so they understand. That's scary. It is very scary. I mean, it was scary for us too. And, and we're not, I say we're not victims. We are victims of trafficking, but not near in the sense that they are. But we are going through our own trauma because of this. Couldn't be any other way. Right. Absolutely, you're suffering. It's so, just, yes. yeah. So it's, it was one of those things where... I wanted to make sure that other families knew there was somebody somebody out there that understood, that could talk to them, that could listen to them, that could empathize and sympathize and just be here for them. And we've got some resources, absolutely, because we had to find them ourselves. That was the one thing, Jeff. I've lived in our county for 30 years, and I didn't know who to call when this happened to our family. And that stuns me still to this day that I could not think of who to call. But part of that was very much the emotional side of it because you're just at a loss and you don't want to believe it. And you don't want to know, you don't want to know that it's true. It is. You don't want to, you don't want to believe that it's true. And, and when you finally say, okay, this is something that's probably happening. I don't know who to call. Right. Do I just call the police? Do they, what are they going to do? Yeah. So what do you feel like our, Current the laws that we currently have in place are are adequate because I I don't yeah I I don't think so but I will tell you I don't know if you uh, if you saw this well you probably didn't hear it on the news because they didn't even announce it at least the news I was watching September first a new law went into place that it is now a felony for you to buy sex okay in, in, the, in the state, state of, of Texas, Texas. Okay. correct. So, you know, and there was a lot of discussion around this. Kind of hard to believe that it wasn't a felony before, really. I I agree. (laughs) I agree. And so what they're thinking is, you know, that this is going to help uh, curb the demand, which, you know, I mean, that's what business is all about, right? Any, (laughs) yes. Yes. True. But any step that we can take to to curb it, to decrease it, to to get the victims back home, um, that's a step in the right direction. We need to do it. Yes, but let me just let me just say something to that. Getting the victim back home, um, I will tell your your listeners. U.S. Marshals picked up my granddaughter about a week and a half before her 18th birthday, and they called us and asked us, you know, where where are we supposed to bring her? And I asked them to take her to a youth shelter. 
Okay. Now, I asked them to do that because, again, I have her younger sisters with me. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea the frame of mind that my granddaughter would be in. And I did not know, because of that, I did not know, do I have the capacity to help her and handle what she's been through? Mm-hmm. It takes very specialized care for someone to help a victim and a survivor out of this. They're going through such trauma. Such trauma and in repetitive trauma, you know. And so it is very specialized. So I want I want people to understand that it is not, a lot of people will say, well, why didn't you just bring her back home? Why didn't you just go get her and bring mm-hmm. her back home? Mm-hmm. Because it's dangerous. These traffickers are willing to kill. Mm-hmm. I'm not going out there to get her. I'm not equipped for that. And then, again, bringing her home into our house, we had no idea what her mental capacity would be, what her mental state would be, the emotional state of everything. Mm-hmm. And so we, I'm smart enough to tell you I need a professional to help. And that was exactly what I was re- requesting from this marshal, was take her to a place that can help her. And what did the marshal say? She basically told me I had filed a fraudulent missing persons report. Wait, wait a minute. What? (laughs) Yes. She, I said, excuse me. I said, she is a victim of trafficking. I said, are you looking at her file? Do you see that she has been reported as a trafficking victim? And it's important to note that she was not yet 18. Correct. Okay. A week and a half before her 18th birthday. And the U.S. Marshal said, yes, I see something here about human trafficking. She said, I'll have to look into this and I'll let you know. I'll call oh you back. Oh, my gosh. Did, I would have jumped through the phone. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. It, Where's was, the compassion? I was very angry. Well, I, I came to understand a little bit later on that that U.S. Marshal's job was basically to recover Okay. My granddaughter, and and she that's what she did as far as she was concerned. She recovered her. When she got her hands on her, she was recovered. So after that, okay. it was not really her responsibility. Oh, man. That, I can't imagine. So, so then what happened next? So when I did not get a phone call back from that U.S. Marshal about three hours later, I sent her a text message and said, What's the status of my granddaughter? Yeah. She told me that Harris County had taken her. And I said, to jail? And she said, yes. And I said, so no help for her as a trafficking victim. And she told me, ma'am, I did my job. I brought her in. Oh, boy. your, Your job is to take care of people and keep them safe. Yeah. That, I don't think that. She didn't do her job. Yeah. There, so, you know, through our whole journey with this, Jeff, I've, uh, there's a lot of things that I feel that we've learned. There are some deficiencies in training for law enforcement. I mean, clearly you can see that with the U.S. Marshal and how she handled a family member and talking to us. But also law enforcement agencies. There are, there are many officers out there who I had one respond to me and say, Miss Candy, have you ever thought that your granddaughter's where she is because she wants to be? That goes back to the question I asked earlier. I mean, that that just is uh, why that question would even be asked. Right. They obviously have no idea. 
That's that is correct, and that's that was the indication that I had as well. Is you need to be trained. Yeah. And if nothing else, not not even specifically trafficking, but just compassion for people. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, put all of the training aside. Where is the compassion? Right. You got to have some compassion for people. I I just think that this subject is so hard for people to grasp and understand. And so they don't know how to be. And I'll tell you, in the community now, you know, I've spoken out about this Mm -hmm. several times publicly. And I have what I will call friends in the community who don't know what to say to me right now. So they just avoid me. And I'm Entirely? (laughs) Yes. And I'm not going to bring it up just to say, hey, you know, let me tell you about this horrible situation I'm living through right now. I will not do that. But if someone wants to speak to me about it, if they have a question, I welcome that because if I can educate more people, that's what I'm looking to do. I want to help somebody not go through this. And I think that's the, that is the scariest part that we have this, uh, attitude and feeling that, uh, we don't, you know, just bury our head in the sand. It's not going to happen here. doesn't happen in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know what? We got 79,000 kids in Texas. Correct. It's happening in your neighborhood. It is happening in your neighborhood. It's time to get smart. Yes. Step up and do something. Absolutely. So what can we do? What can we do to help this cause? Because it's important and we need to stop it. It is important. And there there are so many great nonprofits. Um, You know, the Montgomery County Coalition um, Against Human Trafficking is a great hub for these nonprofits that come together and they have a quarterly meeting but, you know, I would say if you run across one of these nonprofits that helps, get involved. If you can volunteer to do something, if they have the ability for you to do that, please volunteer your time. Give of your gifts, talents, and skills. That's what I tell people. And gifts are financial. It could be something tangible, whatever it might be. But there, we need help all across the board. Um, I have another very dear friend who is... Um, her nonprofit is called Emerging Grace Ministries. Mm-hmm. She is building a facility for these, what I'm going to call overcomers. They are, of course, victims coming to her, but she wants to build a facility to help them recover and completely recover, girls and boys. What's the name of the organization again? Emerging Grace Ministries. Emerging Grace Ministries, and the facility is going to be located where? It is supposed to be here around North Houston, I'll say. North I Houston. can't say Montgomery County. Okay. I, I want to say North Houston. And they are currently working on getting funds together for this building, looking for property, the whole thing. And and the whole reason that I'm so excited that she is doing what she's doing is because had her facility been built, when that marshal called me, I could have given that name and that's where my granddaughter would have gone. She would not no. be where she is today. She would not still be on the street under his control. She would be in a facility with someone who is qualified, who is trauma-informed for counseling and help. We better get your granddaughter home. Yes. That's the goal. That is the goal. Along with every other victim. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in uh, Illinois, how do I find out about organizations there? Just Google or, I mean, I, I'm sort of hesitant to call the, the police, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say get involved in your local community and, you know, maybe one of the 
best places to start is look at your go state level find out what they're doing as far as trafficking is concerned state level and then you can you can go down if there's nobody in your community and you have a passion for this start something okay and and so i should back up a a second it's not like i i don't have anything against the police I'm i'm a total advocate yes i support them but when it comes to this topic we need to cut to the chase yeah. And we need people that are going to take action and cut through the red tape. Right. Right. We have too much bureaucracy yeah. and people are too worried about doing their job. And, you know, am I going to offend somebody or whatever? We got to take action. No, but I'll, I'll tell you one of one of the issues with law enforcement that I completely understand is they do get fatigued because families like ours filed runaway reports every time she left. And then when she got to a certain point, I, I even went and spoke to law enforcement and said, what should I do? Should I file another runaway report? And they said, you know, the best thing to do, because now you think she's in Houston at this time, file a missing persons. So I started doing that. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of runaway reports and missing persons. And every so every time they, they find her and recover her or whatever, then that's paperwork for them. And I get it. It's, it, you know, and now here I come back because as soon as they brought her back as a runaway, she would run away again. I mean, it just kept happening. It's a, like a revolving door and they've got to file a file report. So I understand yeah. the paperwork fatigue for it. You know, that, like you said, the red tape and all of that. And so I, I understand, I understand that is a burden for law enforcement in that sense of it. And all I would ask that they do is shift their frame of mind to how is this impacting this family? Right. Think about the family because we don't want to have to come to you and file another runaway report or missing persons report. What if it we was happening our to your family? One. Yes. Yes. So that piece of it, I do understand. And, and like I said, it, in my mind, it's sort of a mental health issue. Are the victims have a, low self-esteem they may suffer depression they may they may suffer from previous abuse there's all these things that go into the mindset of the victim themselves and so it does take somebody very specialized and it does take special care and it's a long recovery process i'm sure it is took them a long time to get there so it's going to take them a while to get out yeah well we hope and pray for the very best for your granddaughter and that that very best is that she comes home as soon as possible Don, it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for coming on the Understandable Solutions podcast. My objective with each episode is that people walk away with at least one useful nugget of information. And this is a critical uh, subject, and I want people to take action, and I pray that they will. So thank you so much for being here. Tell us one more time, how do people get in touch with Hands of Justice? Go to our website, handsofjustice.org. You can volunteer there. You can donate there. You can find out information about what's going on in support groups and how you can help empower these overcomers. Wonderful. And if people want more information, just contact me. I'll be. I'll get you in touch with Dawn, and, and we'll get, get you in a place where you can take action. Just email me at jeff at understandablesolutions.com. Thank you so much again, Dawn, for being here. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope today was a great day. I hope tomorrow is even better. Peace, everyone. 
Thanks for tuning in to Understandable Solutions. We hope we met our goal and remember that was for you to walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. And tell us what that is. We want to know. Be sure to review us favorably on your favorite podcast platform. 